Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Point Podcast. We guys all had a great weekend. We are back here on a Monday to get into a lot of different things. A, a wild weekend in sports where we had, uh, obviously, the Stanley Cup playoffs are ongoing. The NBA Finals Game 2 last night, very exciting game between the Warriors and Celtics. We had a big winner at the Memorial Golf Tournament with Billy Horschel taking home a little over $2 million, 2.1 to be exact. His first win in, in seven years. On tour, we have Rafa Nadal and his uh, just fantastic, another fantastic French Open. What else is new is with Rafa. But I hope you guys all had a great weekend. Um, best and worst of the weekend sports-wise, let me know in the comments. Love to hear it. Um, anything that caught your eye, any any stories you want me to talk about, as always, feel free to leave it in the comments, and I'll touch on it on today's program. But this week... We got um, Seamus will be back tomorrow, as always. We'll chat about a lot of different things. His Celtics, obviously he's a big Celtics fan. He'll have a lot to say, I'm sure, about last night's game where it was a physical affair between the Celtics and Warriors. Draymond Green got into it, and uh, it, was a, it was an interesting game for sure with a lot of technical fouls being tossed around. Um, and then Matt Wright, a.k.a. Ryder, as you know on the show, will join on Thursday He's a big Rangers fan, and I know he's going to be – I think he's probably cautious, cautiously optimistic right now. I think that's the way to approach it. Um, I, I still think the Rangers are in good shape. We're going to talk about that today. But let's start with the series that could end tonight in the City of Champions, Edmonton, Alberta, where Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers are facing elimination. They are looking at defeat. They are in a must-win situation against the Colorado Avalanche tonight. And if you didn't see this yesterday, if you didn't see the news uh, earlier earlier today, Evander Kane has been suspended for one game. He's a no-go for tonight after his check on Nazem Kadri, which we'll get into. And Kyler Yamamoto, who missed Game 3, who's been an effective player in these playoffs, he got laid out hard by Devon Taves in Game 2. He's still out with an upper body injury. So I'm interested to see what the Oilers do. They went with 11 forwards in game three where uh, Brad Malone, friend of the podcast, was inserted into the lineup and they dressed Chris Russell in the back end. So I wouldn't surprise me if they go that road again because obviously Kane will be, will be gone. Josh Archibald will likely draw back into the lineup, but those are lineup decisions that likely won't have a huge impact on the eventual outcome of the game. But – you know, there's two games that we saw since we last spoke. And my biggest, I said this last week in the podcast, that I thought at the end of their careers that Kale McCarr would be looked at, would be viewed as a better player than Nathan McKinnon. And, you know, I heard back from some people that thought it was a little, it was a crazy take. It was one of my hotter takes, if you will. And the more I watch Kale McCarr play, the more confident I am in the take. The more I'll even go as far as to say this. I think Kale McCarr is a better hockey player right now than Nathan McKinnon. I think he has a more, he has a bigger impact on the Colorado Avalanche winning. And I'm tempted to throw a futures bet on Kale McCarr to win the Consmite trophy because I think he's been better. Then Nathan McKinnon, I think he's had more of an impact. And game three, he was good as well. But game two, I thought was one of the best defensive performances against Connor McDavid in the history that he's been in the league. McCarr shut him down 
It was the first shift of game two, if you recall, where McDavid had the puck and he was going up the wing. And normally he blows by that defenseman. That guy's in no man's land. He's going up against Connor bleeping McDavid. You have no chance. But McCarr made one of the best defensive plays. Just got his stick out, stuck with him, did not let him get across his body, and he made a great play. He's doing it offensively. He's doing it defensively. He's getting pucks out of the zone fast. McCarr is just, I don't know the player comp to Kale McCarr because I don't, there's nobody that has his speed. I think when it comes to his intelligence, his hockey IQ, I, I equate it to Scott Niedemeyer. And that's the highest compliment I can give somebody because I think Scott Niedemeyer is one of the best players to ever play the game. That includes Gordy Howe. That includes Gretzky. Go through the all the great defensemen. I think Scott Niedemeyer is better than all of them. If I was choosing a team today and everybody was in their prime, I would take Scott Niedemeyer before anybody. Lidstrom's close, but Scott Niedemeyer is the best one of the best players I've ever seen in my life. Again, I didn't get to see Gretzky. I didn't get to see Gordie Howe. But the player, Yarmir Yager is another one of my favorites. I love him. He is my favorite player. But Niedermeyer is that good. Or I look at Makar. He's got his, his hockey IQ. And, and Niedermeyer skated so gracefully. And, you know, I, I remember Ryder, last time he was on the podcast, he said, well, sometimes it looked like there was nights where Scott Niedermeyer looked like he didn't even try because he came off the ice and didn't have to take a shower where I make fun of Artemi Panarin because he doesn't have to take it. I call him shower because he just doesn't need to take many after games. Well, there's a difference because Niedermeyer won and seemed to care where Panarin just too many nights doesn't give a shit. But Makar is just a jack of all trades. He's skilled. He's smart. He's got a great shot. I think his ability to get pucks from the blue line, I mean, his – his skating at the blue line, you know, where he basically skates sky sideways is just incredible. But also his ability to get shots through from the point through traffic, that's a skill. That's a skill that you honestly you can't teach. I think you hear, well, you can't teach that guy how to shoot, or you can't teach size, you know, the old cliche, which I, I was never blessed with. But you getting I think that's just a skill. I mean, you can try to get better at it, but just that that sense, that ability to do it. And this isn't like they're playing a conference final and he's going up against, you know, this version of Jonathan Taze where he wasn't in his prime. Or even, you know, if he was going up against Elias Lindholm, who I, I think is a really good player, who I think should have won the Smythe Trophy, but Bergeron won it. So, you know, congratulations to Patrice. But I think that's more of a legacy award than anything. Um, but it it's an uncanny ability it's it's just it's incredible what this guy does and you're playing the best player in the world you're playing him straight up and you also got to look at the d pairing devon taves deserves a ton of credit as well i i love devon taves i think he's such a smart player as well they're a perfect pair but what i like about this deep pairing, you know, I think you think of, well, my thought Carlson was really good. And um, I even think of like a, a Jalmerson Seabrook when they're, when they were winning cups, that deep pair was solid. Jalmerson blocked everything he possibly could. Seabrook contributed a lot on the back end when it comes to points. Um, 
Doughty uh, and Slava Voinov also comes to mind. But this deep pair is not, well, one super offensive, and then you have a guy that lays back. Devontae's will jump into the rush. Yes, Kale McCarr will start rushes. That's just how he plays. But Colorado will go, they'll start a five-man rush because Taze will jump in as well. And that's what's so great about this team is that they are just constantly on the attack. And that's the thing with the Oilers. The game plan has been, we are going to shut down McDavid. McCarr deserves a ton of credit. Taze deserves a ton of credit. But Colorado is also swarming him. When Connor McDavid gets the puck, there are just guys around him. They're like bees. He can't go anywhere. Middle of the ice is clogged up. He's got no ice to move. Game three, I thought he had a good game. But if you really think of the game after, yes, he had some electric moments because he's fast. He's Connor McDavid. But he scored a goal 38 seconds in, which awoke the crowd. But after that, he was just okay. It wasn't that he didn't try or didn't play hard. Clearly he is. He's frustrated. But it's because he didn't have ice. And also, you know, I've talked about how McDavid and Drysaddle playing together, I believe, is a mistake. I still believe that. Colorado should win this series uh, regardless because they're better. But playing McDavid and Drysaddle should be a last resort. It should be something you do on double shifts. It's not something that should happen every time because it's desperate because then you can just eliminate that line completely and you're relying on the rest of the Edmonton team to provide offense, which I just wouldn't have confidence in. You need both guys going. Now, unfortunately for the Oilers, Leon Dreisaitl is injured right now. It's clear. I think he had a high ankle sprain that was reported in the first round. That could have gotten worse. I know that McKinnon trip hit, whatever you want to call it, Saturday night couldn't have helped. He He's battling through it. You got to give credit to him for continuing to play because it doesn't look good. But, I mean, Colorado's third line, JT Comfer, is on a heater. Scored two goals in the closeout game six. Scored two goals in game one of the Oilers series. And he scores the game winner on Saturday night. He's scoring big goals at third line center. But with Kadri out, he jumped up into a more optimal role. And he provided. And, and he, he took advantage of it. And also, for JT Comfer, you know, understanding, looking at the situation where with, with the six-minute mark, which turned out to be the game-winning goal, Comfer is in the penalty box, and they kill it off. But the Edmonton, Edmonton's been out there for two minutes. And Evan Bouchard, who is not a great defender, he's a defenseman, but he's not a great defender even when he's fully help, fully rested and just roaring to get on the ice, he's dog-tired. He's skating back, but he's been on the ice two minutes, as I mentioned. Comfer goes, lifts the stick, easy, goes down the ice and beats Smith in a, in a bad goal, quite frankly. Right through the wickets. you got to make that save. It wasn't a great shot. And it doesn't matter that you made 40 saves before that. It doesn't matter that you played your heart out, yada, yada, yada. You let in a stinker, that's all they remember. You lost the game, period. But Colorado is more deep. They're faster. They're smarter. They should win this series. They should win the Stanley Cup, quite frankly. But their series, we go, okay, that, they might be a sweep tonight. And we go, well, that was quick. That'll be the instant reaction. Well, that was a quick series. Edmonton's out. Okay, let's move on. Colorado can sit and wait. But the impact McCarr is having and his evolution from a – an offensive guy that really lacked a defensive game. 
that didn't have it. That just it wasn't he wasn't great at it, at just being a defender, to be quite honest. But he's gotten better. You've seen development. You've seen him improve, and that's what I'm. I love to see in this series. You've seen growth from a lot of Colorado Avalanche players. And what what is sports? What what are we doing? We're telling a story, right? That's what it is. You. You, you want something compelling at the end of the year to say, how do we wrap up the 2021-2022 season? You don't want it to be about COVID again. You don't want it to be about politics. You don't want it, you know, that, that's, that's a bad story. You've had enough of those stories. But if you could say, well, Makar potentially has surpassed Victor Hedman as the best defenseman in the NHL. Maybe they play in the Stanley Cup final. We can settle that for good. But maybe. Hedman played pretty good, though, yesterday. Or... Well, Nathan McKinnon, a guy who's never won any individual hardware other than a Calder, but I don't really count that, has won the Stanley Cup. Another Nova Scotia boy to join the club to win a Stanley Cup trophy. One of the best in the game finally lifts it up. It's a good story. Nazan Kadri, a guy who was suspended three different times in the playoffs, has turned the other cheek has grown from taking stupid penalties to getting others to snap on him like he did Jake DeBrusque, like he did all those players in the past, to then deliver in the big moments, to become a proven guy. Those are all good stories. What if you want a Stanley Cup with a backup goalie? Wouldn't that give hope to other teams around the NHL? Wouldn't Ottawa and Toronto and all those teams that don't have a starting goalie but probably think they do, that'd give them hope going into the next season. That'd be a good story for the league. It would give so much hope to the start of next season that, wow, maybe we can win because we got ourselves a pretty lackluster goaltender. Pavel Francouz is not exactly Martin Blodeur, but he might be the starting goalie for Colorado and they might win a cup. If you can believe it, need a pretty special team to do it. But again, all teams need is a little fodder, and then you could go all the way. But for Edmonton, tonight, if they're going to win, which is unlikely, but because they're such an underdog, I'm looking at FanDuel. We're going to do our bet of the day at the end of the show. I'm kind of leaning Edmonton. I'm feeling dangerous. Won a golf bet yesterday, so I'm feeling pretty good. Um, But... Looking at it, McDavid's got to be great. That's obvious. But what you also need is, and it's unfortunate, the Oilers don't have Leon Dreisaitl. They don't have Darnell Nurse at, at full strength. And this is something I wanted to address because I see Twitter just hammering Darnell Nurse, and I think it's totally unfair. And here's, here's what I want to talk about. Darnell Nurse last summer signed a eight-year deal worth $9.5 million. And the only thing I read on Twitter now is, what a bad contract with the Edmonton Oilers. That's gonna, they're going to pay for that one for years to come. Maybe. But does anybody think that Darnell Nurse might be injured? Did you think about that? Uh, could that be possible? I, I mean, Braden Point got signed for uh, almost $10 million. He's not playing in the playoffs. Was that a bad contract? Is that worth it? Was that just a bad move? 
I, I just find this so infuriating because if, if, if you're just looking, Darnell Nurse is playing terrible. No, no denying that from me. His game two was terrible. He's terrible in game three. He's taking stupid penalties. He's coughing the puck up like no tomorrow. He's choking on a like a goddamn lozenge. He just is. He can't play. He's physically banged up. But this fodder, this thought that, oh, this contract is going to stink for the next eight years, I think is so premature, and it's so 2022. It's lazy. Was Darnell Nurse a good player in the regular season? I think he was pretty good. Has he been worse in the playoffs? Yes. But do I believe he's been hurt throughout the playoffs? I do. Now, when you play, injuries... There's no excuse for that. I hear Shannon Sharp talk about that on TV all the time. But just because he's playing bad here, that necessarily means he's going to be bad the rest of his contract. I just find that infuriating. So all these guys that that went out early, that were high in the points race, are they worth it? Are they bum players? Are they, they got bad contracts because they didn't? Make it farther? Is Kirill Kaprizov a bum because he lost in the first round? Does he have a bad contract? You couldn't get out of the first round. Nurse is in a goddamn conference final. He doesn't doesn't deserve to be killed for this playoff run. He's playing through injury. And yes, I assume it's frustrating for an Oilers fan. But also think of the player. He's trying to play beat the hell up. Did you see what the Bruins just went through with Marshan and Grizzlick and McAvoy all having big time surgeries? You think at the end of the year, Darnell Nurse is at the year-end presser when they're cleaning out the lockers, which might be as soon as Wednesday, he might just go in and say, nah, yeah, I had a dislocated pinky. No bigs. I'm feeling pretty good. Pool parties all summer. Going to go chug some beer. Uh, I got nothing wrong with me. I'll do a bet with anybody that listens to this show. If he's if he's ready to start the, the, the season, I'll be surprised. I think he's got a major injury that he's going to have to get a surgery on. But this Twitter just killing a player. Yes, he's struggling out there. He's playing horrible. But is the rest of his career is wrote off because of this? I... You got to look ahead. Darnell Nurse is a good player. He earned that money. Now, is Darnell Nurse as good as Kale McCarr? No. Is Darnell Nurse as good as Adam Fox? No. Is he better as, as Victor Hedman? No. But I think at his peak, he's top five to eight defensemen in the world, period. And I think the comp is, well, Morgan Riley signed for seven, Nurse signed for nine. Well, Nurse is better than Riley. At their peak, Nurse is better. Just is. You watch them hurt. People that on the East Coast that only watch the, the, the Leaf games, okay, Morgan Riley's better than Darnell Nurse. He went to bed. You, didn't, you don't know. Us people that stay up, they don't require sleep, even though it'd be good. We know. But I just I found that infuriating over the weekend. I'm sorry for venting to you all, but that it's a bad contract and it's just a dead heat now, now that that this playoff run did it? Okay. Okay. 
that every everybody loses early is a bad contract. Who are all the players that didn't make the playoffs that are on big tickets? Maybe they're a little worse than the ones that did. Maybe. How about like the guys that got bought out, like James Neal? He's playing in the American Hockey League playoffs right now for Springfield. They're paying him to put play in the AHL. Is that is that a better deal? Lucic lost in the second round. What he makes uh, seven million dollars. Is that a better contract than Darnell Nurse's? Does he have does he give up the amount of production that Darnell Nurse does? No, I don't think so. But anyway, continue to kill a guy that's trying to play through an injury. Maybe that'll make you feel better. Now, about game four tonight. Let's talk about Evander Kane. Evander Kane and Nazem Kadri, two interesting guys. Both have a history of being colorful, to say the least. Uh, Kadri, the aforementioned suspensions. Evander Kane, a tough, you know, tough SOB. All this stuff with the gambling and going bankrupt, and his wife and the kids, and he, he's he's had a colorful life so far. He's found a, a good home in Edmonton. But Saturday night, early in the game, Oilers up early, and Kadri's going towards the boards. And as he's going in, Evander King gives him a cross check in the back, and Kadri goes kind of shoulder first, arm you know arm first, right into the boards. A dangerous hit, one that can result in major injury. And on the play, Kadri was slow to get up. Eventually he did, but he not returned from the game. After the game, we learned he's out for the series. He is, um, I, I've heard Nick Kiprio say that they believe he's got a broken thumb, potentially worse. He could miss the Stanley Cup final. He's been having a great year at 87 points in the regular season. Career year will be an UFA this summer. So in this series, it might not be a big deal, but it could be in the Stanley Cup final. You don't have a guy like Nazem Kadri. It could really affect the Colorado Avalanche. On the play, Evander Kane, at first look, I, I, I talked about this yesterday with my parents. I, I thought it was a five-minute from the second I saw it because that was dangerous, that it was dirty, and actually on the play, Kadri didn't have the puck. So those are three telltale signs that tell you, yep, that's a dangerous hit. Yep, that's dirty. Get him on here. Now, Kane got five. They had to review it on the play. Another great review. An idiot ref who's about me to this Fiji water bottle away could not make the call. He had to go upstairs and check with Daddy to make sure it was okay. Nevertheless, we'll move off that. But I thought it was a dangerous hit. I thought it was a five-minute. It didn't kick. It was just a five. He wasn't removed from the game. And I'll be honest, I did not expect Evander Kane to be suspended for game four. However, I'm okay that he was. And the reason I'm okay that he was is because, like I said, it has all the components. This wasn't a check from behind where the guy turns at the last second and the player looks guilty when really it was the guy checking it out and he caused the play. Vander Kane knew what he was doing. It was a dangerous hit. Kadri got hurt, and I don't agree with that influencing a suspension. That shouldn't. If it's a dangerous hit, it's a dangerous hit. It doesn't matter if you break your neck or if you – have a hangnail. It should be the same across the board. But Evander Kane's have been suspended before. He's been involved with this type of stuff. 
And I, I think it's just because, again, it, it's a dangerous play. It can't happen. It, it can't happen in, in, in hockey anymore. And this isn't a snowflake play. This is a dangerous play where a guy can se- severely hurt himself and Kadri, it happened to Kadri. So, I mean, Evander Kane being out hurts because he's a guy that can create offense. He said Dry Sidles hurt. McDavid's basically by himself. They need Nugent Hopkins to step up tonight. The defense core nurse is banged up. He can only do so much. And the rest of their D core, not exactly. It might be up to Duncan Key to provide some offense. But looking at the team with no Yamamoto, yo, no Kane, a hobbled Dry Sidle, it does not look good for the Oilers tonight. It really doesn't. Even with Pavel Francouz, who's been solid. Like I said, Mike Smith played well in Game 3. Made some big, big saves. Like two pads, stacks, some acrobatic ones. But that comfort goal can't go in. When Ryan McLeod scored to make it 2-2 for the Oilers, I thought, well, they're going to win this game. Because they got the momentum now. It was a terrible goal by Francouz, one that can't go in as well. Just no traffic, nothing. Just right in front of him, beats him. And, but... To Colorado's credit, they find a way to battle through. Neither team could score on on special teams. Colorado had plenty of power play minutes. They couldn't score on it. But, you know, it it looks like it's all Colorado tonight. But I think the Edmonton Oilers will be motivated to win this game. McDavid in particular. You don't want to get swept. You don't want to get swept. Because he's, they got swept last year. Yes, it was in the first round. But it's not a good feeling. And, He's got a lot of pride. He's clearly frustrated. I'm sure he's looking around saying on Saturday night, I have Zach Cassian on my line. It's resorted to this, that I have Zach Cassian back up here. Like this is, he's probably looking at it saying I had Cassian for a number of years. I am Patrick Maroon. No offense, big rig, great Stanley cup champion for a number of years on a first line. This can't be happening. That can't be the line. It can't be Zach. I'm sorry, but it can't be Zach Cassian as much as, and the big reason why Zach Cassian has been playing, got that first line role, is because Jesse Pulleyarvi's been terrible. His efforts inconsistent. He looks out of the game, just doesn't look invested. He's got brick hands. He can't score a goal to save him, save his life. I might try it tonight. He didn't deserve an opportunity to, to get a crack at the first line, but Kane's out. So obviously you have Hyman. And he's kind of like Pooley although Pooley is a better skater. You might want somebody a little quicker on that line. But they don't get a whole lot of quick forwards, to be fair. They, they just don't. We're, they're, they're a hobble team. And they, you know, I assume Brad, like I said, I assume Brad Malone will still play tonight uh, after playing in, uh, in game three. But I don't like the Oilers' chances. But then again, there's just games where it looks like the odds are stacked against the team. I think the Oilers are in that position tonight. And, you know, a player can go legend. Connor McDavid can have himself a game where he wills his team to a win. Colorado, it looked like they had St. Louis dead to rights in game five. And they coughed up a lead that game. They ended up losing in overtime. They, they won it in game six. So it happens to a team where you just, you get complacent, you're confident, you're ready for the Stanley Cup final, and the team just comes out, gets one win, and then it's over two days later. But for Colorado... They could have a significant break because as I just saw it before we came on, if Tampa and the Rangers go seven, just for fodder, that game is on June 14th. 
That is a week from tomorrow. So that means you're at least getting a week off. I would think that the Stanley Cup final might start that Saturday. Maybe the Thursday night, but I know they want a game on a Saturday when it comes to ratings. So they also, I know with the with the, the games on the mothership, it's going to be on ABC, the Stanley Cup finals. They will want, likely want the NBA playoffs to be over as well, or at least most of it done if they can. Because I know the NBA finals go with Wednesday night in Boston, Friday night in Boston, be Monday night in in Golden State, game five. If necessary, game six, Thursday in Boston, and game seven will be Sunday in Golden State. So you're lining up the schedule to not hit anything. So I'm saying the game would be Thursday. Yeah, I, I would, there, there'd be an NBA game on Thursday on, on ABC. So it would likely be a week from Saturday, the NBA final, the NHL, uh, you know, the Stanley Cup final will start. So they could have a week and a half off, just kind of sit there and get ready. They got to hope Kadri can get get healthy, get ready. But we'll we'll do the gambling segment at the end of the show. But like I said, Colorado looks like the heavy favorite to tonight to move on, and Nathan McKinnon and this core, this team, to get to their first Stanley Cup final. So big opportunity for the Avs tonight. Now, before we get to the other series, there's breaking news here and that is that phil mickelson announces his return to golf with the live golf invitational series beginning with this week's tournament near london so we talked last week about the live tour where dustin johnson signed on to play this week which coincides with the canadian open which begins on thursday and it was kind of up in the air We're like well, where's phil is he going to play in this tournament is he going over with greg norman and finally, it's been confirmed. Phil Mickelson will play. He has not played in a number of months. He will play on the Live Tour. He will play on Thursday in London, England. And how this how this works is it's it's like a player draft, and there's teams. And I I haven't heard of a television partner. I really don't know wh- how they're going to make money from this. But the players are going to make a ton. I can't imagine what Phil Mickelson's be bringing in if Dustin Johnson got 100. I, Phil Mickelson, even at his age, is a much bigger draw than Dustin Johnson. He's much more compelling than Dustin Johnson. And just says here's after a four-month hiatus, Phil Mickelson's return to competitive golf. Phil, a six-time major winner, was added to the field on Monday for Live Golf's first event. Uh, yeah, so now I'm wondering how much he's going to make. And – you know, it says he hasn't he hasn't ruled out returning to the PGA Tour, but good luck with that. Um, he should still be able to play at some of the majors because he's won there, won uh, won the PGA uh, obviously last year. So I'm interested to see how it works with the major majors. I assume he'll be able to play them. He has not won the U.S. Open. That's uh, the one major he has not won, which is actually next weekend in Brookline, Massachusetts. So he would need a an exemption to play in the event. And I don't know if the U S open will be giving that to him with what's going on right now with the, with live golf. Although that is completely separate from the PGA tour. So they could not worry about the PGA tour getting angry with them, which that, you know, that screams the USDA would do that because uh, they, um, they love, they just love the ratings. They don't really care how they get them. So I'm interested to see what happens there, 
but Phil is coming back. And over the weekend, Kevin Na, who's the 33rd ranked golfer in the world, he was on the FedEx Cup standings, announced that he's leaving the PGA Tour for good. You know, he had a great time on it, um, but he resigned from the tour. And he said, you know, he was basically he's going to play live golf. He was looking forward to the opportunity. And that was the new phase of his life, a better opportunity for his family. And I mean, I can't blame the players for taking the money. Now, where you're getting that money from, that's your own, that's your own mental space. Can I can I rule out that if there's a bag of cash thrown in front of me and it had blood all around it, that I wouldn't take it? No, I can't. That'd be a hypocritical move for me. I think anybody that just says, well, I wouldn't take the money. I, I really don't think, I think it's easy to say when you don't have a bag of money in front of you. So, but for Phil Mickelson, I have less sympathy for because he's made so much money. Now, if you're bad, that bad at gambling and you're losing that much money, number one, get somebody to help fix your bad habit or call me and I'll make some bets where you actually win some money, Phil. Drake too, I could probably help you. I won't take your call, but I'll help you. I hope you like your caddy or somebody. I really actually don't really want to help Drake, but you see what I'm saying here. He, I, I'm, I think he must be making a pile of money. And it's interesting because Chase Kepka, who's a nobody, who is just, he's barely on tour. The only reason you know the name is because of Brooks Kepka, his brother, the, the four time major champion. He's making $6 million to go play in the Live Golf Tour. And he's just a, a guy, he would never make $6 million on the PGA Tour because he wouldn't win. He wouldn't, they're getting $6 million to show up. I can't imagine, you know, what they, what the winnings and everything will be. But so Phil Mickelson will be there this week. Kevin Na, Lee Westwood, Dustin Johnson. Um, but Alex, I haven't heard of a TV partner yet. The event starts on Thursday, be early Thursday morning because it's in London, England. But I have no interest in watching this. The Canadian Open, the RBC Canadian Open, has a much better field. Scotty Scheffler's playing, Rory McElroy, Sam Burns, Cam Smith. Um, go through there's so many good golfers coming up to Canada. Better than Live Golf, better than 51-year-old Phil and DJ and whatever else, Kevin Na. Who cares? So at this point, Live Golf is not a threat. They are creating headlines because they got Phil. But getting Phil is not a big it's not a big swoop. It's not a big uh, land, if you will, because you're getting an old man who's not competing on the PGA Tour competitively anymore, and you're getting a guy that's money hungry. The guy's starving for money, and he he just wants it. So landing, it's not a big fish in landing Phil Mickelson. And as I mentioned last week. I don't think the live golf tour landing Dustin Johnson is landing a big fish either because Dustin Johnson is about as interesting as my big toe. My big toe has more interesting, more interesting things to say. It has more interesting stories. It'll share more with the media and with the world than Dustin Johnson. He's what's compelling about him. Tight pants, grows a decent beard, grows a good beard. Give him that. Grows a good beard. Women probably find him attractive. Good. It's nice. But is he going to give you a good quote? You get to see Paulina. Won't complain about that. But like he's he's just a guy. He's not. Rory McElroy is a great interview. He's interesting. John Rahm is interesting. 
DeChambeau is interesting. Dustin Johnson isn't. So, but when you get breaking news, you talk about it here in the podcast. And the breaking news is that the Live Golf Tour has has added Phil Mickelson. He has verbally agreed he's going to play this coming Thursday. So, ending a four month hiatus from golf, he will return and play on the Live Golf Tour this upcoming weekend, which coincides with the RBC Canadian Open. Now, let's get to Rangers Ning. Rangers, Rangers Lightning. Because after game two, I thought the New York Rangers were going to win this series pretty easily. And the main reason I thought that was because of puck pressure and back check. The Rangers attacked the Tampa Bay Lightning like few teams ever have in their last couple of years and their and their great runs, the Stanley Cups. The Rangers were quick on pucks. They forced bad decisions. And the way they attacked puck carriers, the way they attacked the defense of the Tampa Bay Lightning, they made Victor Hedman look like a mortal. They made Victor Hedman look pretty terrible. He had one of the worst games that I've ever seen him play. It was a bad performance. He did not look good. And the Rangers, although a close game, came up with the victory. They played better five on five, and they were just clearly the better team all in all. And I, Zabinajad's continue to be a star. The kid line is playing great. They're, they're gaining more and more confidence. Adam Fox is playing at such an elite level. He's impossible to stop. It looks good right now for the New York Rangers. So then we get to game three. And yesterday was a was a page turner. It was, it was an interesting game for me. It was it was a game where it was completely different from Saturday night, where Saturday night there was a lot of special teams opportunities, but neither team could capitalize. Where early on, the first four goals of the game were all power play goals. Two from the Rangers, two from Tampa. It was all special teams. It was all about capitalizing on opportunities and a couple poor games from for, for some guys as well. A couple stupid plays from the Tampa Bay Lightning where they get two penalties, goalie interference, which just can't happen with Corey Perry getting one and then Riley Nash getting the next. Inexcusable plays that both lead to two goals. And then Jacob Truba had one of the worst games I've seen him play in a long time where he had two penalties. They both led to goals. He gets... He gets two interference. He gets a, a holding penalty. Then he gets an, an interference penalty. And he, he just had a game that you don't want to remember. He was just, he was, guys were getting past him. He was slow. He was trying to recover. And he was taking stupid penalties in the meantime. But from jump, Tampa brought energy. And they brought something that they did not have in the first two games, in my opinion. That was pace, energy, speed. I still don't think the Tampa Bay Lightning are as fast as the New York Rangers, but they played with pace yesterday. They played with purpose. They played with smarts, and they forced turnovers. And oddly, in the first two periods that were relatively even, and the third was so lopsided for the Tampa Bay Lightning, it was a very much back-and-forth game. Odd man rushes where you saw Keandre Miller get out and make some great plays. You Chris Kreider on the jump with Mika Zibanejad. Kucherov making spectacular plays. But I, I looked at, at the third period, and Tampa just brought it. 
And what the third period was where they outshot their opponent uh, 18 to four, it was a, a sense of urgency. It was a team that knew they had to win that game, which they did. No team in the history of the National Hockey League has come back from a 3-0 deficit in a conference final. And I think they looked at it and said, the Rangers are too damn good. We're at home ice. We need to come out and have a desperate period. Tampa misses Braden Point so much. He's so important to their team. He's, he's Mr. Clutch. He scores every big goal, and he's just a great player. And... Yesterday, I thought Nick Paul had a good game. He has his deficiencies where he's not a great offensive player. And Sorelli played, I thought Sorelli's line five on five was the best line for Tampa with, with Brandon Hagel, who continues to be snake bit, but he's all around the net. He's playing hard. But so you're looking around, you're like, well, we need other guys to step up. And I mean, you look at the, the final goal of the game, or you're thinking the game's going overtime. And you're just looking at, well, this game, you're just thinking, well, this game's definitely going overtime. 40 seconds left. These two goalies are dialed in. Chesterkin has made 48-plus saves. He's having himself a game. He's trying to steal one today in Tampa. But you go Hedman at the point, who's, who's having a great game, which we'll touch on. He passes the puck through. He gets it to Kucherov. And Kucherov delivered one of the best passes I've seen in a long time. He has the puck. He knows guys are going to start to converge on him, but he has enough time. He has the patience to wait for the defender who wanted to get his stick in the lane, but it was just a second too late where he passed the puck a little bit out in front and, uh, sorry, a little bit behind him. And Palat shoots the puck the second it's on his blade. Shesterkin tries to get his pad over, gets a piece of it, but it's in the back of the net. 41.6 left. Tampa ultimately wins the game, makes the series 2-1. to one. But you saw that desperation from this team. You saw they came out in the third period and said, no, we are not going to be stopped. And yesterday was about uh, the team played well, but who came up in the big moments? Kucherov, go figure. And Kucherov's a, a fascinating player because there are games where you could watch him and say, that guy is just such a lazy bastard where he doesn't back check. He makes stupid passes. He'll make nonchalant passes across the scene where it looks crazy. And then there's games where he's motivated and he, he just makes spectacular plays and you realize, okay, this is why this he's one of the best players in the world. He is so skilled and you know, he's won back-to-back Stanley Cups, and he's won a, a hard trophy in his career. So Kucherov was a huge part of yesterday. Hedman, he, he had a bounce back. I thought in game two, as I mentioned, he just played terrible. He was stripped the pucks. He was turning the puck over left and right, and that was Tampa's big problem is, is their turnovers. They, were, they couldn't get the puck out of the zone. If they did, they get it to neutralize, and guys were stuck on long shifts. And th- that's a killer. When you're out there for too long, you're, you're going to get tired. You're going to make mistakes. And eventually, it'll catch up with you. But he played great yesterday. He had shot blocks. He got sticks in the lane. He shot the puck. He got assists. Whatever the team needed from him yesterday, he did it. And that's normally what you get from Victor Hedman, where he just he takes it on the chin. He knows he's got to be the best player on the ice, at least the best defenseman. And him and Kucherov work together. And it paid off because those two guys are their leaders. They don't got point. And I, I thought 
Stamkos had a good game as well. Obviously, he gets the tying goal on the power play about a minute into the period. And he get he got an assist on the Kucherov goal on the power play in the second period to make it 2-1. But he's 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 finding it. Stamkos knows he needs to be good. He he's still he had, he had a great regular season. He's still playing hard. Sorelli's getting uh tough opponents. He's getting some tough luck. I said that top line, I believe, was their best four on four line with Sorelli and, and Hagel and that line, but ultimately. It's, it's the Palat pass from Kucherov that seals, and he was playing with Stamkos uh, as well. So this series is very much open now because Tampa's got a win. But we can't overreact because Tampa won on home ice. They should win on home ice. New York took care of business on home ice. Tampa did the same. I'm interested to see how much energy they have. Can they keep that pace up? I don't worry about Vasilevsky. Because the one thing you can say is that Shesterkin is going to be fatigued. He's going to start to get fatigued because we think think all the way back. In the first round of the playoffs, the first game of the playoffs for the Rangers, he went triple overtime. He made 70-plus saves. Triple overtime, a long, long game. And yes, I was a, a while ago, and he's played better since, but he still played that hockey. He goes seven rounds of the first round. Then he goes seven rounds against Carolina. And now he's going here where he made four, almost 50 saves yesterday. So he is going to get fatigued. He's never played this long into a season. He didn't do this in the KHL. He didn't do this in junior. You don't play this long. You don't play this much hockey. So this is very much new to him. So does he start to get tired? He got he played great yesterday, but you got to assume potentially. Vasilevsky had time off. He only had 30 shots yesterday. And he's also a guy that's faced a lot of shots in the past. He knows what these games are like. He wasn't phased yesterday. They scored two power play goals in quick, you know, Zibanejad scores and, and is basically his new office. And then Kreider scores on a Zibanejad shot. He gets the, the rebound on the power play. But I, I, I said this. I think Zibanejad's played like a superstar in these playoffs. He's blossomed into it. And his line wasn't the greatest five on five yesterday. The kid line has been the consistent best five on five line for the Rangers because of their, because of their speed, because of their skill. And they are working their ass off to get pucks. Lafreniere, Kako, they go into the corners. They're not afraid to get in there to, to mix it up, to get dirty. If they have to, that's just the way they approach the game. And I have such an appreciation of what they've done. They didn't get on the score sheet yesterday, but I do think they were the best five-on-five line for the Rangers. But I talked about storylines and how, you know, maybe a series, maybe this series will go seven and Tampa will win it and we'll say, well, the Rangers had a great run and they lost. And we'll think about that going into the next season and I'll pontificate about how the Rangers should make a move for Patrick Kane, even though I, I saw in 31 Thoughts on Saturday night that Patrick Kane is not on the market. It's not going to happen with Chicago. You can make any trade work. I think Patrick Kane would waive his no trade for the Rangers, but that's just another story for another day. But I talked about Makar, and Adam Fox was great before, but he's getting better in these playoffs. He's taking another step in his development. These two guys are so damn good. And what I love about them is that they're different. They're so different. Makar is very much just frontline speed. 
He's going to go down the ice and then very quick. I think Fox is much more methodical. Fox is much more how do I get there, not just how fast can I get there. What's the best way that I can do this? Patience with the puck. That goal he got Kako in game two, which was a beautiful, beautiful pass. It required patience. It required timing. He waited for it to develop. He hit it perfect. It's in the back of the net. He's just a surgeon on the ice. Again, defensively, he's better than he was prior. And what is oddly similar is that both these guys have great a great D partner. Ryan Lingren is the perfect complement to Adam Fox. Because Lingren is not like Taze. Taze is more of an offensive game. Lingren is very much meat and potatoes. He, I think he's better than Mark Mathot than Mark Mathot ever was. But Ryan Lingren will block shots. He's going to play hard. He's gone through hell and back in these playoffs, but he's put together with duct tape, and he's finding a way to battle through. And you, you have such an appreciation for that. But also, he's not going to do stupid things. He's going to keep – he'll let Fox jump into the play – and he'll handle, he'll stay back and make a play in the puck when he has to. He's a physical player. So, and Taves and Makar have such a rapport as well. But so do these two guys. They're great. And, you know, Fox, I, I was talking about this, Fox and Sabinajad both have the opportunity to pass Mark Messier's for most playoff points in, in a single postseason in Rangers history. I'm going to look that up quickly, but I remember reading, I think they both have 23, 24 points. And Messi, I believe, is number one. But both these guys are on, you know, if they keep going the way they are, I mean, if they're if if New York is going to win this series, if New York wins this series and goes on and is competitive in the Stanley Cup final and wins it, Zabinijad and Fox are both going to have to be great. Because you can't rely on the kid line. You can't rely... Um, Strom looked banged up. He left the game yesterday playing with Panarin. And I actually thought Panarin, I, I thought he had a I thought he had a good playoff yesterday. Quite for I thought he had a good game. I, I thought um and that's rare because I think he's played like dog shit for most of these playoffs, but he seemed to care yesterday, he seemed to have a purpose. And he's got to have a game where it's just the Artemi Panarin game, where it's not lazy back check, where it's not, oh, I'm not gonna go in the corner to get the puck. He's the William Nylander, but he doesn't get criticized for being William Nylander. Shower. But so that's another thing. Corey Perry is, could you, you know, Tampa, Tampa, you got to hope Sorelli and Hagel and these guys can continue to, to press because that's what you need to win. But another player who's gotten better is a young guy on the Rangers who I really liked in the regular season, but again, he's gotten better. Keandre Miller is a player, man. Keandre Miller is a player. He, his speed, his ability to jump in the rush, he's starting to get a physical part of his game. He is awesome. I, The more I watch him, I, ju I just love what I'm seeing. I, I think he's, he's he's just a smart smart player. I he's only going to get better. And I said before, I don't know if I put him in the Patrick Kane trade. 
you know, potentially. I wouldn't want to because I'd, I'd want to trade Braden Schneider. Schneider, I think, could be good. But, you know, Keandre Miller, he's already proven. He's starting to prove that he can be a, a top four defenseman, no problem. He has his warts. He'll make his he'll make his uh, poor decisions on the ice like everybody. But he's getting better. He, he's great. You know, I, I think these defense cores for both these teams are pretty solid. Truba is normally a good player. He had a rough game yesterday. One that he wouldn't want to remember. It was one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. Um, I don't think Ser- Sergachev has had a particularly great series. I don't think he's had a great playoff. But he's still a great young defenseman. I mentioned Hedman had a bad game too. But you look at these defense cores. Miller and Lindgren and Fox and Truba. Schneider, Justin Braun does his job, and you got Chernak over on Tampa and and Ruda and all these. It's, it's a great defense. It's great goalies. That's what you know. That's why these power play goals are so important. You had one five and five goal yesterday, and that was the difference. So, game four tomorrow in Tampa. We'll talk about it more tomorrow, but I still feel just. Game three was a must win. I think game four is a must win as well. I think New York closes it out at home if they win tomorrow. I just have, I have a belief in New York that they are going to be the team to dethrone Tampa. But if Tampa can go 2-2, then they're in the driver's seat because they've been in this situation. They've done it before. They won a game seven last year uh, against the Islanders. Won nothing in the conference final. But I think if New York get a 3-1 lead, Tampa does not have the firepower to come back from the 3-1 deficit against this team. I truly don't. With the goaltending and the way they're built. Um, but you know, both, ser- both series have been really compelling. It was 3 nothing, obviously, in one series. And it could have been 3-0 yesterday. Quick for the Rangers. Ultimately, Tampa gets the win. But I think the conference finals have been really good hockey. You know, Despite the 3-0 the and, and, and what's happened... The hockey's been really good. We've seen some really good performances from players. And we got a game tonight and also tonight. And I see it's going to be on TV. And I thought I'd talk about this, that the WHL, the OHL, and the Q are going to be on TSN uh, this whole next week as they go into their their um, championship rounds before the Memorial Cup, which begins a week from Monday. Well, yeah, a week from Monday on the 20th. So... And I'm not trying to do a PSA for TSN because I could care less, but I do like watching junior hockey. And tonight you got Windsor and Hamilton game three series tied at one. I obviously got Mason McTavish plays for the Hamilton Bulldogs, the uh, third overall pick by the uh, Anaheim Ducks. You got Wyatt Johnson, who's had a great year for Windsor. He's a first round pick of the Dallas Stars. Um, he he's ripped it over. I think he had 112 points in the, the regular season for Windsor. He's had a great playoff as well. So these two teams, nip and tuck, 1-1. And the W, you got Seattle and, and the Edmonton Oil Kings. That series is tied at one. Uh, Seattle, kind of an underdog. You hear the Oil Kings have players like Caden Gooley, who's a first-round pick of the Montreal Canadiens. Jake Gunther, a first-round pick of the Edmonton Oilers. Jake Neighbors, a first-round pick of the St. Louis Blues. Um, and then you got the Schwinnigan Cataracts and the Charlottetown Islanders in the queue where Schoenigan won in overtime last night. They now have a 2-0 series lead heading back to Schoenigan. So the junior game is going to be on TSN this week, and um, that's just something to look out for as well. you got hockey, but those games will be will be on TV as well. So that should be a lot of fun. But, yeah, I 
Game, game four is going to be interesting because I want to see how Tampa comes out and how New York responds. And, and really one of the more interesting aspects for me is just how tired is Igor Shosturkin? I mentioned beginning of the series that New York had to win the series early, win it as quick as possible because I felt they were going to get tired before Tampa would because Tampa had a long layover. So if that if I'm right about that, I think for New York, winning tomorrow is imperative. Because the longer it goes, the more tired you are, the more experience Tampa has, and they might just find a way to win a 2-1 game in New York. You head back home, and the series is over before you know it. So we'll see what happens. But game four tomorrow in St. Petersburg, Florida. So we'll see what happens then. I mentioned live golf. We'll talk about NBA here in a second. But French Open. Uh, If there was any debate before well who the best tennis player in the history of the game is i really think it's over rafa nadal has 22 grand slams 14 which is crazy have been won at roland garros in paris on the clay he's lost three matches there all time 14 majors at one location. There's no athlete. I don't think, I I can't think of a comparison where one guy is as dominant as Nadal is on clay. Like there's no golfer that says, well, I go to Tiger at Augusta. It's not close. No, it's no, no, you're not even in the same ballpark. Um, You know, even an athlete, like a team sport athlete, I, I really don't think there's a dominance level like Nadal on clay, 14 Roland Garros titles, 14 French Open titles. And I believe in those Grand Slam finals, he's only lost, I think, like seven sets or something crazy like that in those 14 finals. But he's got 22 Grand Slams now. That's two more than Federer. That's two more than Djokovic. And... I don't think he'll end up with the most. I think Novak will. But if Novak is piling up grand slams when Nadal is retired, it's not worth as much. Nadal beat Djokovic on the way to get this. Nadal has beaten Djokovic at Wimbledon. He's beaten Federer at Wimbledon. Federer's never beaten Djokovic, never beaten Nadal at Roland Garros. His best surface, Federer's best surface. Nadal's beaten Federer on his best surface. Tells you something. But 22 grand slams. It, it's incredible. And Casper Rudd, 23-year-old, same age as me in 98, played him yesterday. It was, it was a no contest. Match was over. Like Nadal broke him his first service game. He just knew it was, it was a little over two hours. It was quick work from Nadal. His toughest match was from Felix Oje Aliassime. It went five sets in the fourth round. But he battled through that. Then he played Djokovic, won that in four. Djokovic couldn't match him. Nadal was just too good. Zverev, he had a tight, tough match him, but Zverev, I believe, might have tore ligaments in his ankle, got hurt in the second set tie break. So Nadal got a walk over there. And then he gets Casper Rudd in his first major final, playing his idol, and he wasn't up for the challenge. But 22 majors. And now the tennis world, what's interesting moving forward is is Wimbledon. 
because this is what's happening. In Wimbledon, the Russian players can't play. Because of the war, this is what they're trying to do to, I guess, get back at Putin. Like, that'll work. Uh, but that's their stance. I think it's stupid. But nevertheless, keep the uh, keep everybody keep those people happy. I guess that just uh, like this is going to stop the war. I, I, anyway, yeah, stupid. But anyway, the Russians can't play, so the Russian players can't come. Where Medvedev is the second ranked player in the world, and Andrei Rublev is the number six ranked player in the world. Both of them were in the round of sixteen at the French, so both guys will not be there. There's a switch. Alexander Zverev, who's the fourth-ranked player in the world, we just saw get hurt against Nadal. And he, uh, like I said, tore ligaments in his ankle. He's going to likely need surgery. He's not going to be ready because the tournament in Wimbledon starts at the end of June. It's in about three weeks. So he's not going to be playing. So there's another guy. Rafael Nadal said after his match that he's going to need surgery on his foot. He's having real, real pain. If he's going to want to play long-term, he's going to need to do something because this just isn't sustainable. He's not going to be able to do this. So in all likelihood, he won't play Wimbledon because it is his worst surface, and you want to be healthy. You, If you want to play longer, have some surgery. You just you won the first two majors of the year. Maybe, get, maybe be back for the U.S. Open, but if not, if you don't play the rest of the year, who cares? You've already done enough. You're already player of the year. So Rafa won't be there. So on the men's draw, you're just looking. Those are four or five guys in the top 10 that will not be present at this tournament, which in all likelihood means that Novak Djokovic will cakewalk to a, a Grand Slam. But hey, that's what happens. That's what happens. No no shame to him. You win it. But I'm just saying, I'm just looking at the tournament and saying it's going to be a depleted field. It's not going to be a great tournament, so to speak, because there's not going to be a whole lot of guys. Uh, my mother pushed back to me today and said, well, the Canadian players will get an opportunity. OG Aliasim had a great run in this tournament. What normally happens is that you see a great run from a guy like Phoenix. He'll he'll lose in the first round at Wimbledon because that's just what male tennis players do, especially in Canada. Uh, and Shapovalov, I have no faith in him going on a run. So it's just very much – the men's side for the French Open could be wide open. Women could could be as well. It's obviously different because you have Iga Swiatek who won her second major. She's won 35 matches in a row. Both of her uh, titles are on clay, so two Grand Slams now. What's interesting with her, and I think she could have a real reign of dominance over the next couple of years, unimpeded. And the reason I said it is because she's number one a great player, but she's not having the distractions that Naomi Osaka did that Bianca Andreescu did, that you go through the players that have had some recent success, they've all been stymied because of promotional stuff, because of social media, because of modeling, whatever the hell it is, and it's been more important to them than tennis. Just point blank. Eugenie Bouchard, Bianca, all, all these women that won Grand Slams, well, now being on commercials, going on Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition, is more important than tennis. Osaka with her mental health shit. It's it's always something. So Swiatek just seems to be focused on tennis. That's that's her job. That's how she makes her money. She's not the most marketable athlete in the world, but she's a dominant tennis player, and you can make good money winning tennis tournaments. So for her, you've won two Grand Slams, but they're both on clay. 
Can you translate your game to play well on grass? Can you translate your game to play good on, on the hard courts? Because that's the next evolution where you're only 21. She beat Goko Goff, who was 18. And it, it was a tough scene for Coco crying profusely after the match in her first Grand Slam final. You know, good for her just for getting here. I think she's going to rise very high in the rankings, potentially into the top 10 with this performance. And she deserves a ton of credit for that. But um, it's it's just the Wimbledon normally is my favorite event, and it's not gonna it's not gonna be as compelling. No matter what anybody tells me, I'm just gonna look at it and say, well, all these players could be playing, and they're not given the opportunity. So this guy's in the in a quarter. Well, did he really deserve? Would he have gotten this far? You, I mean, you don't know. I mean, if, if you're a player that gets into this tournament and you normally wouldn't, take advantage of it. You know, grab it by grab it by the by the reins and and go with it. You know, no shame to you. You, you you're only you're in the tournament. You try to win as many matches as you can, and maybe you go on a run and, and you get by Djokovic or something happens with an upset. But nobody can convince me that this French Open is going to be uh, sort of that this Wimbledon will be more compelling and better because there's less good players there. Nobody will be able to. But the wins rankings. It goes Swiatek, Kontavet, Badoza, and Coco Golf has risen to 13th. So she's right there, uh, just behind uh, Kazatina, who had a great run. She made the semifinals in this tournament, right behind Radikanu and, and Muguruza. So she has a good run to Wimbledon. She could, she could rise uh, into the top 10 by that tournament. But I mean, you got Goff, you got some of these women that, that have had a, a really good run. We'll see what they can do as we gear up for Wimbledon, which starts, like I said, in about three weeks at the All England Club. Um, what else did I want to get into? Because we had a, a lot of interesting stuff over, over the weekend. NBA Finals. What a game last night. That's number one. What a game last night. Where it was, it was interesting because there was... All kinds of chatter about officiating, how the game should be officiated. Should the game be officiated differently in the playoffs? What the hell was up with Draymond Green? There's a lot of questions. I, If I was refing last night, I would have tossed Draymond Green from the game. And the, I, different from probably other people, I would have tossed him from the game just for being a pain in the ass. The guy doesn't shut up. He's constantly bickering to the refs. He's bitching about something. It's just always something with Draymond Green. And he had a, you know, he had the uh, and one and Al Horford, and he's bitching to the refs. And he, and he, credit to the Warriors last night. Of the Celtics winning the series, but the Warriors bounced back last night after a tough game one loss. They defended with Draymond and Gary Payton Jr., the second getting back into the lineup after missing the last two series. He plays tough defense. He guarded Jason Tatum pretty well. Tatum had another game that is not that impressive. He had a game that I, I thought he was hot in the second quarter. After that, he kind of fell asleep. The third quarter was all about Steph Curry, and the game was over from there. But it was a physical, physical game. Draymond Green is constantly, constantly chatting with the refs. It would bother me to no end. If I was there, if I was a referee, I would just end it. I would give him a tech early and I say, if you keep bitching to me, if you keep talking to me, you're getting another one, you're out of here. Because 
it can't be fun to deal with every day. Him constantly in your ear, bitching, bitching, talking, talk. Just get rid of it. You don't. You don't stop a problem by just by pushing it forward. If you got a problem in your life and you're like, well, I'm not going to deal with it today. I'm just, just going to leave it. I'm going to put it to the side and I'm going to go on with my day. But then you wake up the next day. It's like Groundhog Day. You still have that problem that you didn't deal with, but it's still there. Well, no, I don't really, I don't want to pay attention today. It's like, and you just you keep, you keep forgetting about it. You keep pushing it and eventually it catches up with you. So that's how I look at Draymond. And these officials, he's going to do it the whole series unless you do something about it. They suspended him in the finals in, in 2016. And you could say it cost Golden State a championship, but it sent a message. He's constantly in your face. He's constantly. I love his passion. I love his defense. But there are times where he gets too physical and, and he crosses the line. And him and Grant Williams are not good for each other because they're both really annoying players. Draymond Green, Grant Williams, who have, have to be two of the most annoying people in the, all of the NBA. They're both irritants. They're both, they both think they're better than they are, quite frankly. Um, obviously, Draymond Green's going to be a Hall of Famer. Grant Williams is not even in the Hall of Very Good. But th that doesn't help the situation. If I'm a referee, I'm like, I got to deal with both these two lunatics tonight. But looking at it, the Celtics got a split. That's what you're looking for. They got to play better defense on Steph Curry. If I'm Ime Udoka, Marcus Smart doesn't have to play that many minutes in the fourth quarter in your, if you're in a tight game. Derek White is better at defending Steph Curry than Marcus Smart, the first two games anyway. He's getting up into him. He's chasing him. He's getting off screens easier. Marcus Smart might be injured. He was a defensive player of the year, but he's not playing that great defensively right now. He just isn't. It's not the best matchup for, for you. I would do other things to get looks to get Derek White on the floor. He's playing pretty decent offensively. You want that matchup. That's something that I that they can do. That They, they can make that change, get Derek White the, out there earlier. He's a good defender. He's He'll hound people on the ball, and that's something that can be done. Also, for the Warriors, Jordan Poole is not really hitting his shots. He's the, their worst defensive player. He's worse than Steph because they just attack him. His limits need to be watched because in close games, he can't stay on the floor too long. I would keep Gary Payton. My closing lineups, if I had to go through it here, for both teams. I'm going to do this on the fly with all of you. Go right down Boston. I'm going to go Golden State. It's funny. So obviously Tatum. Yes. Brown. I'd have Derek White. I would probably go with Robert Williams, but it depends on the lineup for the Warriors. I would go with Rob, but again, that's an asterisk one there. And then I'm looking around and I'm, I, I'm tempted to play Pritchard because he guards. He's another fast guy that can guard, but I'm going to keep, I'm going to leave that for a minute because I'm going to say you got Steph for sure. You got Draymond if he's not tossed. I'm not playing pool. I'll go with Gary Payton, Jr. the second. Clay. 
as good of a player as Clay used to be, he's not a lock to be in my closing lineup because he's not a good as good of a defender and he's not a great shooter. So far in these playoffs, he's been very spotty. He hasn't been shooting the ball well. And if he's not doing either effectively, you know, and they might get to a point where they go, well, we have to play somebody and Clay might get on the floor. But I'm just saying if they had better options, he might not be there because he just, it's sad to see him play because he's not what he used to be. Obviously, he tore his, tore his ACL, and then on the recovery from that torn ACL, he tore his Achilles. He missed two-plus years. It was bound to affect him, and of course it did. And it's just incredible that he's playing, that he's back out there. But you watch him, and I go, he's not moving that great. His defending, is he used to be an, an all-NBA defender. His shooting is not is not all that well. But I would go with Wiggins. I forgot about Wiggins. It just came to mind. Wiggins is a sure thing. And then I look like pool at 17 last night, but those are, de- those were deceiving because a lot of those were in garbage time, but Otto Porter jr. Could be a, a big, because I think for Boston, is that you're going with Derek white. Robert Williams only played 14 minutes last night, but I, I go with Horford for sure. And I, I probably go, if they're going to go Wiggins, because I, I like Gold State, you got Steph can guard. He's not really guarding many people. I mean, if they go Pritchard, you can go Steph on Pritchard. So there's a matchup for both. So Steph Pritchard, Tatum, and Gary Payton. You got Draymond can guard Al Horford. You got Wiggins on Jalen Brown. And uh, yeah. And then for Golden State, the last guy, I, I would probably put Clay, and he he can guard Derek White. He can guard Derek White. He can do that. Those are my closing lineups for both. Te- That's how I think I'd approach it on both these coaches. I got Tatum, Jalen Brown, Derek White, Horford, and Peyton Pritchard. Because I don't need Marcus Smart out there. He's not as good guarding Steph. Put Derek White on Steph. Pritchard in this lineup, he can guard Clay. Honestly. Uh, so you got Tatum Brown, Derek White, Al Horford, Peyton Pritchard. You had Steph, Draymond Green, Gary Payton the second, Wiggins, and Clay Thompson. Otto Porter could be inserted depending on foul situations. But that's how, like, as you look at it, like Robert Williams is probably not going to play that many minutes. Um, Pritchard played 19 last night, but Grant Williams, this might not be the series for him. This might not be the situation. Yeah, you can get involved with Draymond, but also he's going to jack up shots that just are ill-advised as well. So I'm intrigued by this series. I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Um, and what Boston has in store Wednesday night. It's all the way Wednesday night now. Two days. Long rest between games. Wednesday and Friday this week. Then not a game till Monday. It's, it's a crazy. That's the NBA. They just they give them lots of days of rest to travel and all that. But that's what's happening. So game three, Wednesday. Before we get to best bets, baseball. The, Angel, the Angels. The Angels have got to be panicking. They are in trouble. They are back to 500. They got walked off by the Phillies yesterday. Bryce Harper, a grand slam in the bottom of the eighth to tie the game. Then they take the lead in the top of the ninth, and Bryson Stott pinch hit Dinger to walk off the Angels. 
They get swept by the Phillies after firing their manager. So that's back-to-back sweeps by by uh, the Yankees and then by the Phillies. It is not good in La La Land. It is bad, bad times for for that team. I you know, and you compare it like the Mets played the Dodgers this weekend. They got a split in Los Angeles. That's a really good series for the Mets. You'll take that every day of the week. The Padres went to Milwaukee. They won two of three. All these teams are in the same ballpark as the Angels. They haven't cratered yet. They're still playing well. The Mariners have had a tough start. They're a team I thought that would be good. They haven't been so far. They're starting to find it a little bit. They need to turn it around quick as we get into July, uh, June. But you know they need to they need to find it. The Detroit Tigers haven't. They're not going to make the playoffs. I thought they'd be better. Miguel Cabrera is batting over 300, but again, the rest of the team. Um, you look around, like Chicago, the White Sox are two games under 500 on June 6th. I did not expect to see that. Minnesota to be five games up on them. I still think they have a chance, but you look at Detroit. They're 10 games back of Minnesota. They're not catching them. The Angels are now eight and a half back of the Houston Astros. Seattle's 11 back. They're six games under 500. Texas has surpassed them. But the fact that Texas is a game back of the Angels just tells you how much they've cratered. Atlanta's eight and a half back of the Mets. They're still on fire. St. Louis is only a half game back of Milwaukee after Milwaukee had a tough weekend and St. Louis gets a walk-off win last night. So some interesting battles in baseball. You see Adam Wainwright went seven innings last night for the Cardinals against the Cubs. Justin Verlander, again, the ageless wonder, continues to pitch beautifully for the Astros. So some of these veteran pitchers, 39-year-old Verlander, 40-year-old Wainwright, continue to deliver for teams that have the aspirations of making the postseason. The Jays got the Royals tonight in Kansas City. So they got a – this should be a series you take it – this is, should be a sweep. That's your thought going in. You're playing a team that isn't very good. Yes, you're, you you came off a series against the Twins that didn't go as well as you'd like, but you got Ross Stripling, a.k.a. Chicken Strips, on the mound tonight there. And the Kansas City Royals are 17-35. and 35. They're terrible. They're not making the playoffs. They're rebuilding. So you got Mets, Padres. That's an interesting series this week. You also got Red Sox at the Angels. Two teams that need wins. And maybe this is, you know, the Angels, how they turn it around. But they're going to be a fascinating team to watch down the stretch because if they crater again with with Trout and Otani and again they haven't they didn't get good pitching but they had a hot start and then just in about a two to three two and a half week span it completely fell apart on them it's gone completely down the drain and all that progress is for nothing because they could they could easily just be be an afterthought at the end of this month they could, they, they're done. They're nothing. They're just the angels that are middle of the pack. Trout's playing for nothing, just making money to play baseball. No hopes of making the playoffs. That wouldn't surprise me. I almost expect that now because that's what we know about the angels. Be relevant for about a month. And then by, by July, before the all-star break, your team is out of it. It's on Joe Madden. It's on this team to try to prevent the, the demolition, try to prevent the destruction of this team. Because if they miss the playoffs again, if it's another catastrophic failure, Joe Madden is going to end up in the same place as Joe Girardi, and that's on the unemployment line, point blank. 
Now, as I look at things, Edmonton Oilers are plus 1.5 tonight, so they are the underdog on home ice. So now there's a super boost, plus 250 on FanDuel Sportsbook right now. McDavid, two plus points, and both teams score in the first period. They did in game one. They did in game three. So this is an even game. Why, why is that a boost? Why is, why is Vegas putting that out there? That Why is that a boost? That, that worries me a little bit that, that, that that's the odds, that that's something that's happening tonight. But I do like, for some reason, the Oilers should be swept tonight. They're missing Evander Kane. There's no logic for me saying this. But I, want, I, can, I won a golf bet yesterday with Max Homa finishing fifth at the Memorial. So you feel good about it. You want to throw 20 bucks on the Oilers tonight. I'm, I'm feeling it a little bit. I think I'm going to. And the super boost on FanDuel. McDavid, two plus points, and both teams score in the first period. Plus 250. If you don't want to bet on the Oilers, maybe just bet on that. That's a better bet. You're getting better odds. Plus 150, plus 250. FanDuel. McDavid, two plus points, and both teams score in the first period. Happened in game one, did not happen in game two, did in game three. That's what I'm going with tonight. The super boost, McDavid, two plus points, and both teams. I think McDavid's going to be a man possessed tonight. But my advice, if you're going with the super boost bet, McDavid, two plus points, and both teams score in the first, bet the Oilers as well. Parlay that. Throw some 20 bucks on it. You're going to make a good return. I, again, the Oilers have no reason to win tonight. It should be over, but I just have this feeling that it's not going. McDavid is a great player. He got swept last year in the playoffs. You don't want to get swept again. You don't want that narrative of just getting swept all the time. Then then people start to think, well, is he the best player in the world? Who really listens to those people? But I'm just saying. But that's the pick of the day. Super boost. I mean, it's, I log on to FanDuel. It's right staring me in the face. How could you bet against McDavid? I'm going with him. Two plus points, and both teams score in the first period. You could win this bet by the. You could go to bed at 9:30 tonight. Two goal. Each team scores first five minutes. McDavid two points. First period. You go to bed. Who gives a, who gives a crap? You don't got to bet in the Oilers. Watch. Turn turn off the channel. But that's what we're going with tonight. That's the pick of the day. Hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Back tomorrow with Seamus, as I mentioned. Uh, writer later in the week. Should be fun. Canadian Open. We'll, we'll tee that up. Looking forward to covering that as well this week. So, hope you guys all have a great night. Enjoy the game. We'll talk soon.